Judges chapter 14, I want to teach a lesson entitled, When the Strong Show Weakness, and we want to look at this man who was a judge. Judges 14, the first four verses, and Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to be my wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you go to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to, Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord, because he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at the time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So in this, we'll be able to see a little bit of how God will use someone's weakness, and even in the middle of that, still be able to accomplish a goal. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, for the next few moments as we look into the scriptures, we need to hear from you. And we're ever mindful of what your word says to us. We know that uh, our strength in and of ourselves is of no good, no value. But Father, we trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a very good verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, that says, let him that thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. Sometimes we can believe we're stronger than we really are. And certain events or certain circumstances will reveal what's inside of us. And as with the children of Israel, when they were out in the wilderness, God used that wilderness to reveal a lot of their weaknesses problems with their attitudes. And the scripture says all those things happen to them to be an example for us. The preceding chapter in Judges 13, there was a gentleman by the name of Manoah, and he had a wife. They wanted children and had been unable to conceive. And the Lord sent an angel in verse 3, chapter 13, and told the lady she's going to have a baby, and told her how to look after that baby. Well, she told her husband, and he, he wanted to hear for himself. So it says in verse number eight, he prayed to God and asked the Lord to send the angel back, send whoever that was back. Now, Judges 13 verse eight is very important because here is... The, the only time you'll find where somebody's praying to ask for an angel to come back, but it, it tells you and shows you explicitly that God is in charge of his own messengers. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing that is I know back in the 80s and in the 90s, there were a whole lot of books out that were teaching and telling people you can tell your angel where to go and what to Just I want you to understand you're not going to find that in the scripture. Angels follow the bidding and the command of God. But here, this man prayed and said, Lord, my wife saw someone that spoke to her. Please send him back. 
And it says in verse 9, the Lord hearkened to that voice. So the angel comes back, says to Manoah everything he told the mom, because the dad wanted to know, how are we to raise this child? And the Lord said, look, you are not to allow this child to have strong drink, nothing unclean. Verse 14 is supposed to come in in her mouth, certainly not in the baby's mouth. So the mother had a restricted diet because of the calling of God that was on that baby that was coming forth, which was going to be Samson. And then you can see at the end of the chapter where verse 24, she gave birth, named him Samson. The child grew and the Lord blessed him. So Samson was a blessed boy. He was a blessed young man because he was blessed in conception. And God's plan for Samson was for him to be a judge. What was the role of a judge? The judge was supposed to help decide matters amongst the children of Israel when there were difficulties. He was anointed to deliver Israel from the power of their enemies and to resist their enemies. But Samson is the one judge you read in the book of Judges where we don't recall him judging anybody. All he's ever doing is chasing ladies. And all the chapters that have him in it seem to begin with him starting down some road chasing a woman. So here is a man that was strong and he had this particular weakness. So chapter 14, verse 1 again, notice it says that he was down at Timnath. I would imagine that was part of his circuit and one of his cities or villages of responsibility But he saw a woman. Now, he saw a woman that on the basis of the Old Testament law, he should not have been able to have because she wasn't in covenant with God. She wasn't an Israelite. But he didn't care because the thing that mattered to him most was that she pleased him. And as long as I like her, that's who I want. The Lord had told the children of Israel on several occasions that they weren't supposed to marry the Moabites, Ammonites, and other people. And the reason for that is God wanted to have the covenant people with the covenant people. And when we come into the New Testament, this is why the scripture talks about what communion does light have with darkness. And the Bible talks about us yoking ourselves with people that love the Lord. And even Paul said one time that uh, if, if a person is married and let's say something happens, it falls apart, said if this person is going to get together with someone, they can marry, but in the Lord. So a Christian should marry a Christian. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But you understand as well as I do, that's not typically the way things operate. Uh, people very often marry someone that pleases them. That's kind of been my my own observation. I didn't find this in a book and didn't hear another preacher say this. But Tiffany and I have just just seen this in looking through the scripture and watching people. Folks tend to marry people that are where they are spiritually. You find somebody that's on fire for God. They look for somebody on fire for God. You find for some you find somebody who doesn't mind compromising their values. They'll marry someone who doesn't mind compromising their values. You find someone who says, I believe in God, 
he's my Lord and Savior. I know he or she is of a different religion, but that doesn't bother me. Then I'm telling you, you, you've got someone who doesn't mind putting someone ahead of God. There's no doubt about it. Samson knew that he was in covenant with the Lord. He knew he was a representative of the covenant people of God. But because he saw a beautiful Philistine woman, he wanted her. And, you know, if you want someone or want something bad enough, it's hard to talk you out of it. You know that? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So verse number verse number two. So he comes up and notice what he does, because he understands the customs of the day. He goes to mom and dad. Because in ancient times, in ancient Israel in particular, you know, you had a lot more of these arranged marriages. You still have them in Africa, you still have them in the Middle East, but we certainly don't have them in Western culture at all. But but can you imagine him coming to his mom and dad saying, look, I have just found the most beautiful flower in the valley of Timnath. And I'm telling you, she is for me. And I like their response, you know, because he's wanting her for a wife. He's not even just saying, I want to court her or I want her to be my girlfriend. He has already, he's seen the wedding nuptials. He's put all of that together. And mom and dad, they know their boy. And they said, can't you ever find somebody that loves the Lord? And of course, the answer was no. And the reason he didn't and couldn't, because he wasn't looking in that direction. He wasn't looking. What he was looking for was whoever, whoever pleased him. Now, the Philistines, of course, they worship the god Dagon. And you may also be familiar with the story where uh, the Philistines captured the ark and then took the ark back to their temple. And Dagon was one of these gods that almost, um, you know, some representations of them have them looking like a fish. Some representations of them just have them a pagan guy with a body. But whatever kind of portrayal they had for him, you remember in the story that they kept coming back to the Philistine temple and there was something wrong with their God. You know, they came one time. He's down on his face. They come back another time. The hands and everything cut off the head separate from the statue. And they're like, oh, goodness, what in the world? Is going on here. Then the other time they, they were messing around with the Israelites. And of course, the Lord, the, the Lord, he he hit them all with hemorrhoids. Now, that would have been a terrible way to have to deal with God. So the Philistines knew the power of God. They were aware of the children of Israel and their stories coming out of Egypt. But we've got this custom here. We've got to talk to mom and dad. And we've got a mom and dad who knows their son's weakness. You know, another story where a dad knew the son's weakness. Story of the prodigal. Yeah. Remember that he uh, he said to dad, he said, dad, you know, I've been here on the farm a long time and I'm, I'm really tired of just seeing cattle and, and, and I'm tired of looking at corn there's a whole world out there for me to see, and I want to go to it. So I know that typically we get the inheritance after the dad dies, but you don't seem to be dying anytime soon, and I want my inheritance now. 
So you know what the dad did. The dad did what any one of you, what any one of you fathers would have did. He went on and wrote him a check. He said, here you are, Julian. Here is your inheritance right now. Because Todd's got a big heart. And so he wrote that check. And so Julian already had them bags packed. And he took off. And the Bible says he went to the far country. And in the prodigal story, you know that that prodigal, he lived a life that wasn't so good. But here's what's interesting, though. When it's time for him to come back and his eyes are open and he's been humbled by him, his circumstances, the older brother, when he hears about the party and everything, he says to his dad, I can't believe that you've killed the fatted calf and you're throwing this big shebang over this boy that wasted all of this money out here on harlots and prostitutes and gambling and everything else because the brother knew the weakness of, weaknesses of his sibling. So you know that dad knew. And, and dad said to his other son, your brother who was dead, he didn't say your brother who was bad. He said, your brother who was dead is now brought back to life. See, God did a work in him while, while he was out there. So if, if, if moms and dads know uh, some of the, the, the weaknesses and things of the, the kids, then sometimes moms and dads have expectations regarding what some of the questions are going to be when they go and when they come. Do, do you think your mom and dad knew you pretty well? I, I probably so, probably so. If if you were mischievous, like say Sister Tiffany was when she was when she was a teenager, some of you probably re- recall that if if you ever told your mom or dad you were going somewhere and then you didn't go where you were supposed to be, and then somehow or another they showed up to the place where you were, they already knew what you were going to do before you did it because. It was in them at one time to do the same thing that you did. So having come down that same road, they knew exactly what path you were going to take in the midst of temptation. Look at this again in verse three, Judges 14. His father and mother said to him, see, he's been doing the talking. Now they say, isn't there ever a woman amongst the daughters of your brethren? Well, God wanted them to keep the inheritance within their tribes, within the children of Israel. But he wasn't looking amongst his own people. He had his eyes on someone else. The eyes are very important in Scripture. And the first sin started with what somebody saw. Looked upon the fruit of the tree and the Bible says, saw that it was greatly to be desired to make one wise. And from Genesis right on up until this point, the things that we see that are alluring, that are attractive, very often the bait that is needed to draw us in. Sometimes we have to learn, learn to say no. Yeah, have to learn to say no. It, it's this this is this is very important stuff, folks, very, very important stuff. If, if you're witnessing to Christians and talking to Christians and other people, don't ever allow your life to be the standard. Let the book be the standard. You 
may have done something differently and it worked out well for you, but just because you're the exception, that doesn't make you the rule. And if, and if you married someone who wasn't a Christian and it turned out well, praise the Lord, we're shouting the glory of God with you and we're excited about what the king has done. But when you encourage somebody else, you ask the question, can't you find somebody that loves God? Can't you find somebody that's interested in the things of God? Well, he, he, he never could learn his lesson. But the other thing that's interesting to me, though, at the end of verse 3, Samson said to his father, get her from me. After mom and dad had the conversation with him, he still didn't care what they said. You see that? Now, they asked the question, hoping that there's a little bit of wisdom involved with that. But his reply in stubbornness and in arrogance. I still love that pretty little mini skirted Philistine girl. Go get her for me, regardless of what you say about it. And I, you can see that last the last five words there for she pleases me well. Oh, that's that's uh, that, that's something. That's that's really something. <clears throat> now, I've never I don't I don't recall ever being on the end of a, a conversation where somebody liked me and the parents didn't want them to be with me. But here you have it. Here you have it. That, that makes for a tense situation. But Samson was of the mind. It didn't really matter anyhow. But verse four, his father and mother knew, didn't know this was of the king because God was going to use this man's weakness so that he could stir up the Philistines so that Samson could fight against them. That's what he's doing. That's what the king is doing. And mom and dad have no idea at all. And so that's why uh, mom and dad went on and, and performed what the son wanted. Now, here, here's a question that's interesting. Samson knew that who he wanted wasn't the will of God in accordance with the law. Mom and dad knew that it wasn't the will of God, but yet mom and dad went and got the woman. Got the woman. Put it all together, see? So notice verse, verse 5. Samson went down. His mom and dad are with him. They came to the vineyards, and here is a man strong enough to take on a lion. And the scripture said the lion roared against him, and it's at that point the Spirit of God came upon him. And that is a consistent pattern in his life. When trouble rises up against him, God in his power uses him. So don't tell me God won't use flawed people. God uses imperfect people. God uses people that are challenged spiritually. And God uses them consistently sometimes. God's not just using people that have it all together. In fact, you won't find anybody in the Bible that has it all together. There's a whole lot of forgiveness that needs to take place in order for people to walk with God. So Samson ripped the animal to pieces. And verse 7, he went down and talked with the woman. And again, it tells us she pleased Samson well. Now, Jesus said, I do only those things that please my father. That's what the Bible says. But if, if we live our lives dominated by emotions, dominated by feelings, dominated by flesh, we'll end up in places we ought not be in. 
What is Timnath for you? Timnath for you is any place you ought not be. Timnath for you is any place that is contrary to the will of God. Now you may win a battle and you may do something supernatural. God may even do a miracle in your midst or through you. But you still need to know that amongst the Philistines, that's not God's plan for you. So understanding what God is is trying to say then We've got to look at Samson as an example, as 1 Corinthians 10 says, seeing them as examples upon us whom the world, end of the world has come so that we can learn from them. I I always tried my best to to stay with folks that love the Lord. I tried not to even get involved with business with a whole lot of people that didn't, didn't love Jesus just because of some of the things that... Uh, could come out of that. And, and the handful of times where I've seen uh, people get unequally yoked with people that don't love the Lord, it seems like it usually ends up in trouble, you see. Because a person that doesn't love God doesn't have your values. They don't have your beliefs. And, and without having your values and, and your beliefs, they'll compromise whatever it is that they believe in, and they won't mind cheating you. And robbing you wouldn't bother them at all. They, they, they'll sleep well at night, but here you'll be tossing and turning because you're trying to figure out what it is that God's saying to you in this particular season. But if, if you're Samson, if you're, if you're carnal enough and fleshly enough to where you can sleep well in the midst of all of that, you won't even care what the will of God is for your life as long as she pleases you or it pleases you. So putting God first is important. The scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be what? Added unto you. God had somebody for him. He just needed to wait on the king. You wait on the king, God does things in a wonderful way. <clears throat> so he ends up destroying this lion. And then, as you can see in verse 10, the father went down to the woman and Samson made a feast for that's what the young men used to do. Now, I saw one time where a, uh, a person on television was complaining about hunter safety classes for kids in rural America. And they just thought it was terrible that a, a mom and dad would let their child learn to shoot a gun at such a young age. I don't think there's anything terrible about that at all. The whole point of the class is to introduce people to firearm safety But imagine giving in to every inclination, every weakness of your child, and pampering it, and catering it, catering to it, and then wondering why Samson won't ever change. The ability to say no. Uh, One of the most anointed words in the English language is no. Yeah, no. So when, when your kid was four and came up to you and asked you for the car keys, I'm almost certain you probably said, no, I don't think, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. And, and when, when they were about 12 or 13 and they had spent maybe an hour and a half asking you to buy this for them, asking you to buy that for them, and then the next day they said, would you please let me have your checkbook? I'm sure you probably said no. Well, why is it that some, why is it that some 
people and, and some parents, like Samson's parents, don't say no. My, my wife's good friend is a, works at a, a prison down in uh, Texas, and she's like a psychologist or something down there. But she said 90% of the people down there in that prison wouldn't be there if mom and dad would have told them no. Think about that. Okay. Catering to people's weaknesses. Somebody throw a tantrum, get upset, and because I'm upset and angry, you just go ahead and give them, give them what, they, what they want. Well, that, that isn't necessarily the plan of God because God's not giving you what you want just because you roll around on the floor and you kick and scream and shout and yell. In fact, he'll probably look at you and just, just wonder what's wrong with you. It's like that old, that old episode on Andy Griffith. If you've ever seen that where... Opie learned from a friend of his that if you throw a tantrum, you'll get whatever you want. And so Opie went into the jail there where his dad was working, and he asked his dad for something, and Andy said no, and Opie threw himself down on the ground and started screaming and beating the floor, and Andy just leaned over and said, Opie, what are you doing? He said, throwing a tantrum. And, and Andy said, okay, don't get your clothes dirty, and went back to doing what he was doing. Well, I mean, God, God is not impressed because we get angry. And if, if we're offended at him or upset with him, what we should do is work on our own heart and mind because some of the things that we want, some of the things we pray for would destroy us if we had them. Absolutely destroy us. Well, verse 11, it came to pass when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. So this man threw a wonderful party. And I'm telling you, nobody could party like Samson could. He knew exactly how to do it. Well, they, they had a, a riddle that they wanted to pose. And they wanted to see who could come up with the answer to it. And with trickery, they ended up finding out the answer to it. You can come down to verse number 15, it says, It came to pass on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may declare unto us the riddle. So here's the woman that should be devoted to her husband, and she's now about to betray his trust. It just got married. Well, verse 16, she put on a pretty good show. Samson's wife wept before him and said, You hate me. <laughs> You're keeping secrets from me. I thought you loved me. And said, you don't love me. You put forth a riddle. You won't tell him. So he told her to answer. She went and told them. But this was his choice. This is who he married. This is who he climbs in bed with, with, with every night. This man's weakness is being reflected at him over and over again. You know, there's a, there's a benefit to pastors changing churches all the time. And that benefit is... You get to leave every two or three years and just go start over with a brand new group of people. And then you can take the same messages and just preach them again and see if you get a different reaction out of all of those people in different locations. But when you've been a pastor in one place long enough, looking at the people and watching people, you get to see your own weaknesses and problems reflected back at you. Yeah, reflected back at you. So how do you think sometimes parents feel? When they look at what's going on with kids, they get to see their own issues reflected back at them. Samson chose to marry this lady, and in choosing to marry this lady, you can see that he has got himself in a very, very difficult spot because he's doing everything but judging Israel. 
Nothing spiritual about this man. Look at verse 19. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. He went down to Ashkelon. He slew 30 men, took their spoil, and gave the change of garments to the people that gave the riddle. But notice verse 20. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. So the woman that he loved now is in bed with his friend. Sometimes the things you love the most, you end up losing. Especially if God isn't the one that connects it. This is what happened here. So verse 1 of chapter 15, it came to pass the time of the wheat harvest. That Samson visited his wife with a kid and said, I'll go in to my wife into the chamber. But her father would not let him go in. And her father said, I thought you hated her. That's why I gave her to your companion. But isn't her younger sister fair? So now because of the fact she betrayed him and he was so angry, he stopped talking with her. And in the separation, the father thought there's no way there's going to ever be any reconciliation. He turns around and gives her to somebody else. Can you see the drama that's come out of this, all of this one bad decision, all the drama that has come? There's a lot of it here. And so now he's trying to rekindle a fire that essentially has gone out. And Samson ends up now having to go and take on the Philistines and he sends 300 foxes out in the midst of the fields in verse 4 and sets everything on fire. Here's a man that when he gets angry, he gets vengeful and when he's full of vengeance, everybody's in trouble around him. If you ever had to deal with people with anger problems, then you know that, that some people have explosive personalities. One moment they're okay, then the next moment, I mean, they're just falling apart, screaming and yelling. That's exactly what Samson was. And here was a man that was anointed of God with these character flaws. And God was still using him. Why does God use any of us? Why does God do anything for any of us in here? Why does he open doors for us? Why does he close doors for us? Why does he speak to us, through us, when he sees so many issues in our lives that need to be dealt with? And I hope and pray that nobody in here ever has to deal with what Samson and his mom and dad had to deal with. Because this was trouble. This was driven by lust. This was driven by passion. It was founded in deep emotions and in beauty and in what was alluring. Wasn't founded in God. Wasn't founded in a relationship with the king. And God used the weaknesses of this man in order to bring Israel into a position where they could war against the Philistines. Wow. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Well, in verse six, the Philistines wanted to know who set their fields on fire, because if you woke up in the middle of the night and saw everything ablaze, you'd wonder who did it too. The last person you'd be thinking did it was the judge, the savior, the preacher. Better hope I'm not walking out in your yard in the middle of the night with a torch. Yeah. Okay. don't make pastor mad now. So verse 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 eight so they went out to fight him, and he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etam. You can see how this goes. The pattern is simple. He's made one decision. From that decision, you can see the drama that has come from this. And it's been one 
issue after another. But Samson, he isn't done. Go to chapter 16. Look at verse 1. Samson went down to Gaza and saw a harlot. Folks, I'm telling you, it's going from bad to worse. He's, <laughs> he doesn't even know how many men this woman has been with. And he went in to her and said to the Gazites, uh, they, uh, they said, wait a minute. And it was told the Gazites said, Samson has come. And they surrounded him and laid wait for him at night in the gate of the city. And they wanted to kill this man. And Samson waited until midnight and he rose up and took the doors of the gate. And this man had strength and carried it all away. Now, I know that his strength wasn't something that you could see with the natural eye. Now, why, why do you think I, I would say that? Because later with Delilah, remember, Delilah kept saying, please tell me where you have this strength. Because, if, look, if, if he would have had big, brawny biceps like Pastor, see, and if he would have had these big 18-inch guns on here, she would have never asked that question. So he, he looked like just like any one of us in here. Any one of us in here. But yet, his lust and his passion would take him to the valley of Sorek in verse 4 where he finds Delilah. And just when you think you're a wise individual, you run into somebody like this. And the Philistines came to her and said, you've got to find out where this man's power comes from. We need to know. Because we've got to set a trap for him. He's causing trouble all around the area here. And so verse 6, Delilah, who again, another lady whose heart and mind wasn't entirely given to Samson. She comes and she whispers in his ear and says, I pray you tell me where your great strength lies. Now, now guys, you, you understand how how ladies have power over over men, because, you know, I, I, I could see this scene played out. They got one of them nice little couches there and he comes and sits down and he might be on the floor and she's probably got him positioned right there on her knees. And she started running her fingers right around scalp and just massaging his hair and starts talking to him. Saying, Samson, you know, I've always loved you. And of course, he's just yucking it up just like a cat that's being petted. And I mean, everything. And she said, please tell me where this power comes from. Well, I mean, he tried to hold out. He said, look, you know. If they put seven green strings on me and tie me up, I'll, I'll, I'll lose my strength. Well, I think the next morning when I would have woke up tied up with all that green stuff, I'd been wondering if I'm with the right lady. But, but Samson's passions were so great for, for Delilah that he stayed with her anyhow, even though he knew she was betraying him. Well, she turns around, she does it again. And, uh, in verse 10, she wanted to know, and he told her about some ropes, and she had him bound with some ropes, and this goes on and on. Why does God use this man? Why does he use this man? Why, when I look back in church history, why do we see that, that people who had some of the most difficult situations in, in yielding and temptation, God still used them? Why, why did God use somebody like A.A. A. Allen? 
back in the tent days, in the 50s and 60s, prayed for a whole lot of people that were sick and cripples, took off running up under the tent. They got hundreds of YouTube videos of that man praying for people and lives being changed. But yet when he passed away, he was in a hotel room out in California and they had wine bottles or beer bottles out there all around the hotel room. Why does that happen? Why, why is it that in some, in some denominations, uh, pastors who are great ministers, great talkers, and can, can orate and bring forth a message, they've got to transfer them every six or seven years because of some indiscretion that occurs? Why is it that so many different uh, uh, priests uh, go from one place to another, leaving behind a long trail? Broken hearts, broken lives, abused people. You wonder why anybody goes into the ministry when you read the Bible and you see the flaws. And then you look around today and you see what's taking place with so many different ministries and different preachers. And you wonder, is there anybody living for God? Is there anybody holy? Is there anybody trying to walk with God? Because even though the book shows us the number of flawed people, the Bible does say there are folks that live for God and loved him. Yeah, John the Baptist's dad says he was blameless according to the law. He walked with God. God's looking for people who will allow their strengths to dominate their weaknesses. Your flesh shouldn't dominate your life. Your inward man should dominate your person. And the affections of the spirit life inside of you, that should be what controls you. And the scripture says temptation comes to all of us, a temptation that's common to everybody. But with every temptation, there's an exit sign, a way of escape. You can go this way and escape the temptation, or you can run right into the arms of the temptation and yield. It's a decision we have to make. This man created his own problems. He can't blame God. Joseph when he was tempted by a lady, you'll remember she went after him for a long time. And yet this man said, how can I sin against God and against my boss? And he took off and ran out of the house. She could have been attractive, beautiful. Everything in him could have been desiring her. But yet he made the decision. I don't want to walk down that path and serve in the midst of sin. So that his body wouldn't be yielded unto sin. Well, let's let's clean this up here a little bit. Then in Judges 16, eventually Delilah finds out this man's weakness. She was relentless. Look at verse 16. She pressed him daily with her words, urged him so that his soul was vexed. She played the guilt role. She manipulated him. She played the shame card. You don't love me. You don't care about me. If you really love me, you tell me all the secrets. You wouldn't keep anything back. And finally, he told in verse 17, I'm a Nazarite from mama's womb. My hair hadn't been cut you cut my hair, I lose my power. That woman got up again, walked out of that room, told the Philistines, and here they had this man, Samson. 
And you know what? The scripture says in verse 20, he said to himself when he woke out of his sleep, I'll go out as at other times and I'll shake myself. He had no idea God had left him. Had no idea. Got up and thought he was going to fight them all and realized he was just like everybody else and had no idea. That's a terrible spot to be in. To think that God's grace is going to continue to put up with that kind of mischievous activity. One bad decision after another. The Philistines took him in verse 21. I'm, you're talking about embarrassing him. They, After all the trouble he gave them, they wanted to make sure they gave it back to him. They put his eyes out. I don't know how they did it. But they did it. I think at the end of Chronicles, it tells the story of how they took one of those kings and with like a hot poker or something, plunged it right into their eyes and put their eyes out. This man's eyes were gone, couldn't see a thing. His head was shaven. And then they bound him almost to something like a millstone where he's got to walk around and grind stuff. And I guarantee you, as he's walking around in a circle, hour after hour, day after day, he's got time to think about every decision he's made. Because he realizes now, I'm here because of my own decision. There were people that spoke to me. There are people that tried to talk to me. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. I'm here now because of my own decision. And here he's walking around in a circle. The people are up there in the bleachers and they're laughing and they're clapping and they're wanting to see him use somewhat like a circus animal. And then his dying prayer was, Lord, help me to pull down all of this stuff and to take out all of these people that are laughing at me. And I can tell you right now, if, I, if I've got a final prayer to pray, I don't, I don't want that to be the one. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not my final prayer. If I've got something to pray, I don't want that to be it. But that tells you the degenerative cycle this man was in. Conceived and blessed in mama's womb. An angel came to mom and to dad. Born into the world in beautiful circumstances. Mom provided for him all that he needed. Gave him a good diet. But yet he gets up and he starts chasing after all of these things. And look at the end of his days now. Because he made some bad decisions. I do know anybody can recover from a bad decision. But it's very difficult to recover from several bad decisions. Very difficult sometimes. You can you can make a bad decision and put yourself in a hole. You can make three or four bad decisions, put yourself in a hole that's hard to ever get out of. Yeah. But I do want you to understand this. God used Samson through all of that. Through all of that. That's that's the amazing thing. So I come back to the question, why does God use us? He uses us because the scripture says God's strength is made perfect through our weakness. If you and I honestly believe that God's using us because we're wonderful, we're in trouble. We are absolutely in trouble. The Bible says, take heed, you that think that he stands, lest you fall. When I go into a good meeting and the Lord moves and people are saved, I say, praise the Lord. I don't think at all. Oh, my goodness. I'm just a wonderful guy. And if if people end up giving testimonies days later of how God filled them with the Holy Spirit or somebody was healed or somebody felt like God spoke to their heart. I don't go back to my room and try to pat myself on the back. I give all the glory to him because he can use anybody. He don't have to use me. 
And it's the same thing with you. If you're gifted and talented, you can play an instrument, you can sing, whatever your, your gifts may be, however the Lord can use you, always remember it's him inside of you. It's never just you. Because your strength, if you're not careful, could become the source of pride in your life. And if it does, that's not going to be a wonderful thing. You may be the kind of person who had a Midas touch. Everything you touch turns to money, turns to a lot of it. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're a genius when it comes to finance. But it could mean because you have filled your mind with this book, God has been able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep you from making some bad decisions. And in helping you make good decisions and better decisions, it's brought you in the blessing. So I pray the Lord keeps us all from having our final days like Samson. I want us all to have strength like Samson. Jesus was strong. No doubt about it. The devil came to him on every side. One temptation after another. But yet, unlike Samson, Jesus knew to resist. He did. And Jesus bore the powers and principalities of the enemy, not by praying to pull down the rafters on thousands of people. He went to Calvary, died on that cross. And that's how he defeated that foe, the devil. Came up out of that grave alive with all power. And so let's let God use us as vessels. And, and if God uses your hands, give God the glory for that. Let's pray. Father, this story is a remarkable story. And, and there's so much in it. You could spend weeks in it, Lord. But we have just taken the time to just kind of glean uh, some of these wonderful truths. And I pray, God, you'd help each one of us to live close to you, that we would be on fire for you, knowing that every decision we make affects not only ourselves, but other people. Lead us and guide us in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.